0: <laughs> the song ends and, and maybe I'm ready to go is it working are we in okay perfect it's funny uh, the, the the amount of people in the room decreases by like more than half when all the kids go away uh, I, I tell people that and uh, it, like, that, are, that are pastors and, and other people in ministry and they're like wow that's a great problem to have <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, but like when the room like empties half out, it's like it's a little like demoralizing sometimes. Like, <laughs> it's like, did everybody just leave after worship? Or okay, oh wait, those are the kids. We're we're fine. They're hearing the gospel over there, which is a good thing. So uh, last week we began a new series in uh, in this season of Advent." Uh, I mentioned it last uh last week a little bit that like advent is uh is something that's on the church calendar I say the church calendar i mean like the traditional church calendar uh we don't hold to it because we, we don't do it because it uh, is traditional because there's some sort of value in that. But we do it because it, we, we see some value in focusing on the incarnation around Christmas time. Everybody's kind of thinking about it. We might as well sort of embrace the fact that everybody, uh, or a lot of people at least, become Christians for at least a month. And they need to hear about the incarnation of Jesus and why that matters to them, right? So it's funny, there's a, uh, there's, there's a house down the street, that like, flies all sorts of different kinds of flags throughout the year uh, that, that are really sort of like anti-Christian sentiments, okay? You might know what house I'm talking about uh, if, if you go down the road. Uh, it's interesting to me that at Christmas season, they switch over to Christmas decorations. So for like a month, they become Christians, right? <laughs> at least culturally speaking. Um, but, like, why Advent, though? Like, why, why is it so important? Again, it's because I, I think it's good for us to connect some of those things about Christmas, this Christmas season that we've adopted uh, culturally, to the reality of Christ's birth. And so, like, hopefully, this is going to help us to connect some of those Christmas traditions, things like uh, Advent calendars or paper chains. Have you ever thought about this? Like, why do we do Advent calendars or paper chains? It's because we're expecting the coming of Christ. Right, that's what it was meant to point toward. A lot of people think, oh well these are fun things and it's a countdown to Christmas when the kids get the gifts. Right. So they can see how much longer it's going to be before they get their presents. That's not the case. It was meant to point toward the incarnation of Christ. Likewise, gifts themselves are are an interesting pointer to Jesus. It's not just a time to give gifts because everybody's sad because it's wintertime, right? A lot of people think that, right? That we give gifts in the wintertime because, hey, like it's kind of depressing. It's cold outside. Uh, Nobody wants to go anywhere, so we give gifts. That's not the reality. We give gifts because it points to the gift of Christ to the world. These presents in and of themselves are not a source of joy, but they point to the true source of joy. And you might have already clued into this uh, so far this week. Uh, Our theme this week is joy. Joy. Typically, we are verse-by-verse uh, verse preachers. We go through books of the Bible. We've been in the book of Mark for the past year and a half. But we're taking a little bit of a break and doing a few topical sermons. That being said, uh, I'm still an expositional preacher. I, I like to grab a text of Scripture and just try to pull out everything that I can from it. That's sort of my methodology for, for preaching. I think that's the best methodology for preaching, not just because it's the one that I've adopted. Uh, I think it keeps us true to the text. Right? It makes sure that we are, are, are beholden to what God has said and that there's not a whole lot of room for error in that. And so today we're going to grab a, uh, a verse, a couple of verses from Luke chapter 2, sort of a traditional Christmas uh, verse. It's going to be Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, just those two verses. By the way, if you're, if you're new here this morning, my name is Pastor Greg Brown. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at, uh, at Mosaic, and uh, it's a true pleasure to be able to address you with the word of God this morning. Uh, I mean that. I say that a lot, but I really mean that. Like I love what I do, uh, and, and and so it's an amazing pleasure for me to be able to to present the word of God to you this morning. Uh, again, Luke chapter two verses ten and eleven. These should be very familiar. Uh, in fact, just the other day we did uh, we did family Christmas uh, with Ashley's family. Um, and what, what did we do to start? Well, the patriarch of the family uh, gets out his King James Version Bible. I, well, I think it was NIV this year, and we were all kind of confused. Uh, but typically, it's King KJV, and he reads the, the nativity from Luke 2. It's such an amazing thing. Anyway, we're, we're going to grab that uh, this morning. I'm going to ask you all if you're able to stand as we read the Word of God. It's just two verses, so it's not too long. We do this out of respect for the Word of God. We understand that our preaching is not authoritative in the same sense that the preaching, uh, that the word of God is authoritative. It is very different. Uh, And in fact, uh, preaching can be full of errors, but the word of God is not, and therefore we stand in respect to his word. Again, Luke chapter 2, verses 10 uh, and 11, it says this, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ." the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this time that we have together this morning to consider your word. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see the depth of this gospel proclamation. And Lord, that you would not only open our eyes and our minds, but Lord, that you would work in us a joy of salvation that, that surpasses all of the circumstances of this world. Lord, we thank you for this. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Joy is a big topic. Okay. Uh, I was thinking about this this morning. Um, guy by the name of, of John Piper, who you might be familiar with. Uh, he, uh, he sort of has a thing in ministry. It's Christian hedonism, right? He says, God uh, is more, most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And that's like sort of the foundation of his whole ministry. It's not that like that's the only thing he preaches, but like it's just sort of like a common theme in the course of his ministry. And I, and I kind of love that. Uh, I think likewise you could create sort of a whole ministry around just Christian joy, just like diving deep into what it means to be joyful in Christ. I mean, think about it. Like I just pulled out maybe five or six different places where you could go to think about joy. Like James one, two says, count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So this joy perseveres through trials and it can be, and this joy can, this true Christian joy can be found in every circumstance. Philippians 4.4, 4, it says, rejoice in the Lord always, not just sometimes, not in just some circumstances. And again, I say rejoice. Again, in Romans 12.12, 12, it says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And so our joy is driven by hope. Likewise, there's other places like John 15, where we'll go later. I won't read that one just yet. Uh, also, Galatians 5, uh, 22 through 23, you might be familiar with the fruits of the Spirit, right? One of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And so joy is a work of the Spirit in our lives. And likewise, it was ultimately joy, it was ultimately the motivating force behind Jesus' final march to the cross, Hebrews 12.2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is really like this sort of picture that I've just painted of joy could really take us the rest of the, the, well, the rest of 2022 to get through if we really wanted to dive deep on the subject of Christian joy. I think there is a wealth there. But I have one sermon, and hopefully a little bit shorter than normal so you guys can get to the parade on time. But I do want to say, look, I, I, I can't get into it all today, but I, I want to look at this one particular text. And Because I I read this book recently, there was a book I read recently that was really helpful to me. Uh, The author said, uh, begin with the end in mind. And so I'm going to do that today. I'm going to go ahead. I I think I did this last week or two weeks ago. I I said, hey, like, I'm going to go ahead and give you everything that you need to know right up front so you can be looking for it throughout the sermon. I'm going to begin with the end in mind here. So uh, I, I want you to ask yourself today, am I a joyful person? Am I a joyful person? Like, are, do you feel it deep down? Do you find yourself depressed, hopeless, or angry more often than not? Or are you a joyful person? When you come to church on Sunday, do you rejoice? Or do you just kind of sing along? When, when you come to the table on Sunday mornings and, and, and you partake of that, is it a joyful occurrence to you? Or is it just sort of a dead uh, ritual that you do? Are you known for your joy then? Like, think about that too. Like, if other people are looking at you, are you known for your joy? Some of us, have, look, we have naturally sort of neutral or unhappy faces. You know what I'm talking about. All right? Some of us don't wear our joy on the outside. I get it, all right? That's okay. But perhaps, perhaps, is that just an excuse for a lack of joy on the inside? right? Maybe are you not wearing that on the outside simply because you aren't joyful on the inside, or do you just kind of have a naturally unhappy face? That's, like I said, that, the latter is okay, but the former is not. If you're saying, hey, like, I have a complete lack of joy in my life. All my circumstances just weigh me down. I, I have no joy in my life. I would argue that you are not experiencing your salvation as richly as you could. And so this morning, I'm hoping that we can start to work in that direction. In fact, even if you're a naturally sort of externally joyful person, look, Pastor Brandon and I, we are not naturally externally joyful people, okay? Uh, But we do have joy. We know that we have joy and we know that it's ours to grasp. But some of you are like, you're out there, right? Like you love to just like exude joy, right? And yet sometimes I would argue even those who just look joyful on the outside, they're not joyful about the, the best things the source of their joy can sometimes be other things. It can be their circumstances. It can be just sort of a mask they put up even. So I'm asking you, are you a joyful person? Like I said, I'm not a naturally joyful person. I struggle. In fact, this morning I was talking to Pastor Brandon and Ashley as well. Like I struggle this morning with joyfulness. I was like, man, I like I'm preaching about this and I'm hoping that God is going to work in me as I preach the truth because like, I'm a naturally pessimistic person, right? And so I, I tend to think about negative stuff sometimes, and I need to be reminded of the joy that I have in Jesus Christ. Look, uh, it, and it's really easy to dive into this stuff. It's really easy to, to buy into the lie that our joy can be derived from, from other things. So like when we feel a lack of joy, we're gonna be tempted to, to go out and to try to find other stuff that will try to sort of fill that joy in. I mean, you watch commercials, you look at Instagram or, or Snapchat or TikTok or whatever's big these days, right? Like you look at all these things and they're all nice and look at all the joyful people. Aren't they so happy? Don't they look happy? I want that. If I had that thing that they have, I would also be joyful. So I'm going to run after that. Like, look, people on those McDonald's commercials look so happy with their filet of fish sandwiches. Pastor Brandon has a, has, a, has a particular love for these, as do I. Uh, <laughs> they, they look so happy with a filet of fish sandwich and, the, and it's, it, with its, its tartar sauce and its half slice of cheese. That's important. For the balance there, uh, that you know, if, if that moment was their last, then they might, it looks like they might die fulfilled and joyful. Their joy would be complete, but we know that's not true, right? That's that's ridiculous, yeah. And yet we buy into it consistently. We really do. We buy into this stuff so easily because we get fed the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that looks like it's going to complete our joy. And if we aren't careful, we're gonna get wrapped up in pursuing those things rather than pursuing the source of true joy. In this passage we just read, we're told that the angels bring good news of great joy. The words, I bring you good news, are actually more literally translated, I evangelize you. Isn't that Interesting. That's euangelion, that's or euangelizo, actually, from, from the Greek, right? This is, this is, I evangelize you with great joy. I bring you this type of joyful news. Here at Mosaic, we, uh, we preach the gospel every week. We connect every sermon to the person and work of Jesus Christ. But, like, this one's a serious softball, Right? Just a serious softball passage because the gospel is right there. It is good news, gospel of great joy. How wonderful. So I get it easy today, right? Maybe you guys get it easy too, we're not sure. You tell me afterward. But let's, let's maybe dig a little deeper here. The words around evangelize paint a picture of what the gospel is. What makes it joyful or words or, or news of great joy? What makes it joyful news? And so we're going to dive in today around about a few different pieces of this passage. And, and as a, as a good Baptist, I've organized this sermon into three alliterated main points. I don't usually do this, but, uh, I thought, you know, why not? I worked really hard on this too. Okay. So like, don't <laughs> criticize me too much. This is not unusual for me. Um, I want to look at the people uh, of this passage, the people to whom the good news came. I want to look at the purpose of that good news, and I want to look at the person who makes that good news possible. Make some sense? People, purpose, person. I know I use the word person kind of twice there. Forgive me, okay? Like, you forgive me? Yeah, okay, good. So let's look at the people first. Look at verse 10. It says, and the angel said to him, "Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will what be for all the people." This is an interesting passage. In fact, like you could you could spend some time on fear not. Um, I, I, this isn't even in my notes, but like when when they when the angels say fear not, like this is like it, there's a sort of paralyzing fear that comes along with seeing an angel. Like truly, right? Like these these angels stand in the presence of God right? And like, so they, they've, they glow. They like, I they must look terrifying, right? Like, and so the angel's like, whoa, 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 I know I look kind of scary. Like, I mean, I'm a big guy. So some people are a little intimidated. I need, I need to go like, I know I look a little scary, but it's going to be okay. I'm pretty gentle. Right. And the angel's saying the same thing. I'm not coming in war. He says, I'm not coming in all of this glory and everything else to judge you. I'm coming to you with good news of great joy. Just crazy stuff. Think about it. Moses, just seeing the trail of God's glory, his face shone. It, it was glowing. But these angels stand in the presence of God. Like, like it's gotta be terrifying to see an angel. Um, anyway, that's not in my notes, but there you go. But he brings good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's an interesting turn of phrase. The people. It doesn't say all people. In fact, some of the more dynamic equivalent uh, translations do say the people, but uh, or it's, it do say all people, but uh, more literal translations say all the people. This is an interesting turn of phrase because it's talking about a particular people group. The good news came to a particular set of people. It came to all of this particular set of people. So the question is, who are the people? Who did the good news come to? Well, first it was the Jews. I read it last week. Uh, in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, unto us a child is born. This points to Christ. The us of that passage is the old covenant people of God. We're talking about covenant Israel. God then made this promise back in Isaiah 9, 6, and he was bringing it to fulfillment, and he says, I am bringing you a savior. I am bringing you the Messiah who I promised to you as a people group now. I'm bringing him to you now. And so Jesus' ministry was actually first even to the Jews. We read it a few weeks ago in Mark 7, 27. Jesus says, let the children be fed first. He says, my primary mission right now, right here on earth is to the Jews first. And so the, the good news to whom this the, this are the, good peop- or the t- people to whom this good news uh, came was the Jews first. Despite Israel's unfaithfulness, God actually fulfilled all of his promises to them, first by sending Jesus and now by accomplishing all of his promises through Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. In the Old Covenant... Uh, which God made with uh, Moses on Mount Sinai, Sinai. When He He made that, He said, like He was also promising this Savior who would come and fulfill all of it. And we see that Christ fulfilled the law for us. He fulfilled the old covenant for us. And so God fulfills His promise. He sends the Savior to the Jews. He says, "This is the one who is coming." But the people to whom the, this gospel was proclaimed wouldn't be limited to the Jews for very long. Ephesians two fourteen through 15 says, the dividing wall of hostility, or sorry, for, for he himself is our peace. Uh, for He who has uh, made us both one has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And so while Jesus' first ministry, his saviorship was first to the Jews, it was then expanded to the Gentiles. When that old covenant was, was fulfilled, he said, okay, new covenant time, all right? This is for all the people. This is for uh, not just the, the old covenant people of God, but for all of God's people. And so while this initial gospel proclamation was limited to the Jews at the time, it is also appropriate to say that the proclamation would be for all of God's people, both Jew and Gentile. That's Jew and the rest of us, if you're not familiar with the term. Romans 10.12 uh, also says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. This might seem basic to you. If you're here, uh, not many of us are ethnically Jewish, right? So you're like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm a Gentile. I'm saved. So obviously the gospel came for me, right? So like, okay, look, I know that's kind of a softball, but I want you to think about something in, more in particular. Maybe you know that the gospel is for you, but have you considered that, the, uh, that joy that it produces knowing that the gospel is for you? You, in particular. So God saves a people unto himself, and there is a corporate nature of salvation, but there is also an individual sort of mentality in this. So if you're worn out and you're tempted by the promises of this world and you're thinking about giving up on church, on life, on God, then you need to remember that the good news of great joy is for you. It's for you individually as well as corporately. God knows you. He sees you. He understands you. He knows all of the deep, dark, nasty stuff that's in you. And he knows how much he loves you. And he said, I'm going to bring these people good news. Not the bad news of wrath and judgment. He's already made that clear. But he says, no, on top of that, in addition to that, I'm going to bring them good news, which is for their joy. But why should we be joyful? Like, life is hard, right? Jesus calls, our, calls us to take up our cross and follow him. Paul compares life to a fight or to a race. Those are hard things. but How can we be joyful then? Well, ultimately, the reason for our joy is not simply that God brings us good news of material wealth, for example. God brings us good news of great joy based on the purpose and the person of this good news. So we've looked at the people. Let's look at the purpose. Look at verse 11. It says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in, uh, uh, sorry, I went a bit down too uh, far, there we go. Uh, For unto you this day is born in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. I wanna look at that savior. If the people for whom the good news is a source of joy, is all of God's people, then the purpose of that good news is to bring salvation. This salvation is the source of our joy to a degree. Don't be over-technical with that, because we're going to get to how Jesus is the foundation of all of that. Salvation, though, like we, we talk about Savior, salvation a lot in church. If you've been in church for a while, you're like, you know that terminology, I got saved on this date or, I, or somebody got saved or, or like I have salvation. We talk about salvation all the time, but sometimes it's hard to understand what that really means other than just sort of like context, right? So if you're newer to church or even if you're, you've been in the faith for a long time, maybe you've never really thought about like what is salvation, like kind of by definition. The reality is that it can be kind of confusing, and, and it's very good to know what's going on there. In fact, a uh, little side story: um, my day job as a uh, software engineer, uh, we often use like abbreviations and acronyms and, and code names for, uh, as like shorthand for different things, right? Like it helps us communicate very succinctly with one another. We can speak to one another, and and we know what one another are talking about, whereas you know someone from the outside might not, like. For example, the sentence, uh, just throw up a PR on the Git repo, and I'll give you an LGTM so you can merge it into the main branch. That's actually a sentence that I might say on any given day on a phone call. Now, for most of you who are not software engineers, you're going, what in the world is this guy talking about? Like, What is happening right now? Well, ultimately, what I I meant was, uh, hey... uh, what I'm telling to you is I want you to uh, show me the changes that you've made to our code, uh, and, I, and once I've reviewed those changes, I'm going to approve them so that those changes become part of the application that we're building. That might still be a little technical, but there you go. Um, similarly, uh, Dale and I have a, uh, have a, a bit of uh, interesting vocabulary for sound engineering that, uh, that includes words like wet, crispy, crunchy. Warm and round. Weird words, right? I mean, if you're not into sound and music and things like that, you you don't know what I'm talking about, and you're like, that's weird, right? I've had people come up like, what are you talking about? That sounds bad. Uh, It's not bad, I promise. Um, And you might be able to, like, sort of infer the meanings to these words uh, if you were around it for long enough, but it's probably better to sort of try to define them. Salvation is, is one of those words that gets tossed around in church, uh, and it probably needs some explaining. So for those of you who don't know what it means, or perhaps uh, you, you do know what it means, but you need a framework by which you can explain it to others, hopefully this is a little bit helpful. So I, w- I want to dive in on this. The, the word salvation implies, first, that we are saved from something. In particular, we are saved from God's righteous judgment for sin. More succinctly, we are saved from God's wrath. Sin is any affront to God, whether we are doing what he forbids or neglecting what he commands. For example, when we steal or when we covet our neighbor's possessions, we do what God forbids. That's sin. You should be pretty familiar with this idea. A lot of people like to talk about sin as stuff we do. But it's, sin is also when we neglect that which God commands. So if we prioritize other activities on Sunday, or we, or, or, or we go like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to go have uh, like, you know, family time on Sundays rather than having uh, worship together on a consistent basis, we've got a problem. We've got a priority issue, and you are in sin. Like people don't like to think about that stuff. Not doing something can also be sin. And sin against God requires justice, just like any other human crime, but far, far, far greater. And God is coming in judgment for all sin. Revelation 6:12 through 17. Uh, I don't have it on, in my notes. I was supposed to put it in there, but it's up there. Uh, let me flip over. You guys can wait awkwardly while I go find it. says this. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The moon became, full, or became like blood and the stars of the sky fell on the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? What an incredibly fearful thing. Salvation is salvation from that day. Salvation is, first, salvation from God's wrath. But salvation is more than just that. It's, in fact, a whole system. Salvation is is part of something that has happened in eternity past, through now, through today, and through into eternity future. In eternity past, God elected a people for himself despite their sin. Our good works had nothing at all to do with God's choosing. In time, God makes us alive in him and he works faith and repentance in us. And that faith makes us right before him. He sees us as clothed in Christ's righteousness. But he doesn't leave us where we are. He also, over the course of our lives, brings us into greater degrees of holiness. He helps us to turn from our sin and to live more and more holy lives. And then, ultimately, he brings us into glory in eternity. And we're going to see Jesus face to face. Salvation is not a singular moment in time. Justification is, regeneration is pieces of of this that I just talked about. Those are parts of salvation. But salvation is an entire system whereby God in eternity past looked forward and said, those are mine. And then in eternity future brings us into, into his kingdom and keeps us. Salvation is so much bigger than we think it is sometimes. We see most of this put very simply in Romans 8.30. Uh, It says, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul here skips over the sanctification part, but you can very easily find that elsewhere in Scripture. That sort of golden chain of redemption is what we mean by salvation. Salvation. And so this good news, the purpose of this good news is not to bring prosperity and material wealth. It's not to, to bring uh, the, you know, the next Chick, uh, Chick-fil-A or Filet-O-Fish sandwich right? that seems like it's going to make you joyful. It's not to, to bring you even the best relationships that you could possibly have. That's not the good news. The good news is salvation. It's eternal salvation, the whole thing. That's the good news. That's the the purpose of the good news. It's to bring that eternal salvation. But if, if we know the purpose, we know the people, we then have to ask the question, who is making this possible? Who does this? Who is going to guarantee that I can trust this? Because the world looks really good. Right? I could do all these fun, amazing things out there, and those seem like they would make me pretty joyful. So what's the guarantee? What's the, what's the guarantee of my, of my salvation? What's the guarantee that, that this is, is really it? And what is the source then, the ultimate source of my joy? And so we need to look to the person who makes this possible. Again, in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. If salvation is the reason for our joy, then as the one who saves perfectly, Jesus is that guarantee that I was just talking about. Providentially, I, I just did a sermon on the subject of the Christ, and so I'm not going to belabor those, those details here. Uh, he's called Christ the Lord. But I I do want to suffice it with this, that Jesus is the anointed one who was promised, chosen by God to accomplish salvation for all of his people as their prophet, their priest, and their king. I should say this, the prophet, the priest, and the king. All kings, prophets, and priests before him were anointed in order to point to him. But in this passage, something more is said. Jesus is not merely the anointed one. He is Christ the Lord. This is an interesting turn of phrase. In fact, it's the only time this exact turn of phrase is used in the New Testament. Luke wanted to call out a distinction. There, there was, there's a way to, to say, uh, to say uh, Christos Kyrios, which is is Christ the Lord or the Lord's Christ. And it's a little confusing. We're not sure whether it's the Lord's Christ or Christ the Lord. But Luke, in his infinite wisdom inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, I'm gonna use a different Greek turn of phrase to make sure that people take note. This is Christ the Lord, L-O-R-D, capitals, okay? This is the Old Testament God who, who... His his name is translated Kyrios in the Old Testament, the Greek version of the uh, Old Testament, because they were afraid to say his covenant name. And so what Luke is saying is, hey, look, this is not simply an anointed one. He is the anointed one who is also God of God. What an amazing thing that Luke is is pointing out here in this simple little nativity story. I told Brandon last night, I was talking to him about this, and I was like, I don't think I'd preach this any different if it wasn't Christmas time. Like Because this, this is an incredible truth that we need to understand. This is Christ who is also God. And that's ultimately why this good news can be of great joy to us. If Jesus were only the anointed one, if he was, even if he was sinless, he wouldn't have the power or the perfection to make good on our salvation. A perfect man is not enough. Jesus had to be both fully God and fully man to accomplish our salvation and to guarantee it such that it should produce such amazing joy that we can go, none of this stuff in this world matters. Believe me, I, I, look, I, this, is, this is pretty, I, I, okay, I'll just digress for a second. I realize this sermon is kind of heady stuff. So far, just a little bit. It's maybe maybe a little bit more up here and a little less right here. So I wanna drive this downward for a second, okay? Like, I wanna pack your minds full of amazing theological knowledge, okay? I, I really do. That's my joy in life, okay? Uh, like, outside of Christ. <laughs> uh, but that's like my joy in teaching, okay? I wanna pack your heads with all sorts of wonderful theo- theological knowledge, but if it doesn't ever get to our hearts, we have a problem. And so today, I, I wanna... To, I want to look at this from a perspective of how we can experience joy and really experience our salvation to a degree. I was, again, talking to Pastor Brandon because we talk a lot, apparently. Um, uh, We were were chatting a a minute ago, and uh, it's interesting. In the the, uh, Canons of Dort, which is a historical church document, uh, they talk about how you can experience, experience the assurance of faith. It said like as you, uh, as you pursue Christ in obedience, you experience assurance. The assurance is already there. It's there for you. You are assured by the blood of Christ, but you experience assurance as you follow him. I think it's a really, like that's a, that's a deep thought and I think it's good. And I think it's the same thing with joy. The joy is there because your salvation is secure, not in yourself. Look, the person that we're talking about here isn't you. It's not you that maintains your salvation. It is Jesus Christ who maintains your salvation. And so that joy is there. It's available to you. The question is, are you experiencing it? Are you experiencing that joy? And so I want to drive us toward application here. And so I want you to first, like, I want us to just walk back through this, the people, the purpose, and the person. And I want it to drive at some like heart application here. I want you to hear that, the, the good news comes first to God's old covenant people, the, the Jews, and, and then to the rest of us. And there is a sense in which that good news is for everyone. But the, the reality is that if you are in Christ today, that good news came to you by the sovereign power of God in your life for you. Is that not joyful? To know that the king of the universe looked at you and, and said, oh, look at that messed up person down there. I love him anyway. I am going to send my son to die on the cross for him or for her. How amazing is that? If that doesn't work a little bit of joy in you, that God looked at you and said, you know what? I'm not going to send them bad news. I'm going to send them good news, even though they don't deserve it. Like think about the, just the subject matter, the, the, the scope of the good news. It is for you if you are in Christ. And so the gospel comes to sinners like you and me, and God loves us so much that he, he gives us good news. Let that be a source of joy in your life every day to think God looked at me and said, I want that one. I want him, I want her. But there's more. I want you to think about the purpose of the good news because we could have, God could have given us any kind of good news. And it would have been gracious, all right? He could have said, yes, I'm going to continue in my wrath, but I'm going to give you a lifetime of filet of fish sandwiches. He could have. Look, God is all powerful, okay? He could have given us anything. He could say, like, let's, let's make it a little bit more serious. God could have given you the promise of everlasting prosperity. You could have everything you ever wanted in this life, in this life only, though. He could have said that. God has every ability to do that for us in his grace but it would not be merciful, I would argue. But God does far better. All the stuff of this world, he says, nah, that, you don't need all that. That's, that like, I'll give you what you need, but like, the far better stuff is the stuff of eternal salvation. Think about that for a moment. In spite of all of your circumstances, you are secure. And so this life is just a blip, it's a vapor. And then when you get to the end, guess what you get? Christ. How cool is that? You get to look at your savior face to face. You get to have conversations with him. You get to spend eternity with him and with others who have believed in him. How wonderful. And not only that, it is, he has removed you from the wrath that you're due. Think about yourself. Think about who you are, who you maybe once were. Think about all of the sins, all of the terrible stuff you've done in your past. Think about even the ways that you have messed up today before you got to church. Think about that stuff. God sends you good news that he's not going to pour that wrath out on you. He poured it out on Jesus Christ instead. If that doesn't work joy in you, I don't know what will. Like, today is the day that we need to be joyful. The last thing that I want to say is consider the person who works salvation for us. He is fully God and fully man. He knows that how we were tempted. He experienced temptation for himself and yet did not sin. This perfect man and perfect God died on the cross for your sins. Remember, the scope is both corporate and individual. God said, you're mine. I'm gonna send Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And those sins were poured out on him at Calvary. And then he rose from the grave as a promise to you that you would do likewise. Again, like, why are we joyless? Sometimes, I, like, I, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here, look. Like, sometimes I feel joyless, but I need to be reminded of the joy I have in Jesus Christ, the God of gods who came and died a sinner's death for my sake. I need to remember that. I need that reminder today. And if, again, if, if considering these things doesn't stir joy in your heart, then I, I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself, what's getting in the way today? What is in my life that's distracting me, that's making me worry, whatever else? What, what is it that's in my life that is causing me to turn from Christ and into the things of this world because I think that the joy that I have in him isn't enough? What's going on today? Like, look, there is a, there is a way to be joyfully mournful. There is a way to do that. There is a joy that we have in Jesus Christ that is deep-seated and it rides over against and with all of the experiences of this world. But there there is a sort of like baseline for the Christian, which is no matter what circumstance, I have Christ and that's more than enough. That's Christian joy. You've been given everything. Look, not every circumstance is pleasant. Our lives don't always end up exactly like we desire, but ultimately the joy of the Lord, if we can can experience that by thinking about our salvation and praying to him and spending time in worship to him, we can do that. If we can experience that joy, then the joy of the Lord is your strength today. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.